You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Boy, oh boy, I feel like I haven't talked to you pack morons in I don't even know how long, man. I, I missed you guys so much. But I don't know, I don't know what to do with you. Uh, we, we got a lot of news to cover. So let's fly through it as fast as we can. And then, uh, I don't know, man. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like this is the part of the show where I should lay out specifically what we're going to talk about, but I don't know. I could get stuck on the first topic, and that's all we talk about, and then what? Or I could rip through everything that I've got and then be like, well, crap, we better... uh," Although that'll never be a thing because we have Packernet After Dark as a backstop. We have 98 calls. We've gotten under 100. (laughs) She's so stupid. All right, let's see what we got in the news for the Green Bay Packers. Taking it step by step here. Kentucky Derby, nobody cares. That's always really big news and I don't know why. I guess it's just, it's, it's like a celebrity thing, which I think is stupid. I think it's for the people that like really are into who's dating who. Like, oh, did you know that Rogers is dating Bakhtiari's second cousin's dog's nephew's babysitter? Oh my goodness. Like, what, why else would you care about the Kentucky Derby thing? You want to see what they're wearing? See Tom Brady's hat? Is he wearing a hat? He's probably wearing a hat, right? They all look like D-bags. You know what I mean? It's such a weird thing. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. If I had too much money, I'd probably participate because it's like, hey, let's just go be stupid. It's probably one of the best parts about being just insanely rich is that you can just be stupid all the time and it doesn't matter because why not? Do whatever you want. But it's like, hey, let's all dress up like plantation owners and drink, you know, scotch brandy and and smoke cigars as we watch the Kentucky Derby. I don't know, man. But I don't know. I don't have much details. Uh, I just see that it's an article here, and I'm not going to click on it, and I'm not going to read it, and I'm not going to fill you in. And if you want to know, this might be the wrong podcast for you. Uh, Packers got a guy from Nigeria, Kenneth Odumegwu. I don't, know, I don't know if I said it right, but I sounded Nigerian when I said it just then, and I didn't even try. I just tried to read it phonetically, and I was like, dang, that probably is right. But apparently, I've, I've never heard of this before. It's a thing called uh, International Player Pathway. First time the Packers have ever participated in it. This is a thing from 2017. Provides a chance for elite international athletes to compete at the NFL level, improve skills, and possibly earn a roster spot. This year, the eight teams in the NFC North... Uh, what? The eight... Oh, of the... <laughs> like, there's not eight in the NFC North. The eight teams of the NFC North and AFC West were chosen by random draw... To each be allocated a player. For, oh, I thought we picked somebody, so we just got to sign somebody. Well, that makes it less exciting. I mean, I'm 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 rooting for the guy, but just listening to Matt Lafleur talk about it does not sound like there's a lot of high expectation. And now that it seems like this guy was kind of just sprung on them, it makes it seem even less exciting. I thought Gutekunst was like, dude, there's this guy in freaking Nigeria, bro. Wow, just I mean, we got to give him a shot. But uh, according to this article here, it says clubs with IPP players are allowed an additional 17th practice squad spot to hold their IPP player. The team is allowed to terminate the contract, though, and sign the player to a practice squad contract and then elevate them to the active roster. So it is kind of cool that they just kind of make a path so that it's not like, hey, come on out here. And then, you know, really early on, we're just going to cut you and you got to go back. It's just kind of like, no, let's just create another spot. Let them hang out. You know, for a long time. Doesn't seem to hurt anything. Does seem to be an issue with the fact that uh, apparently his name is Hercules. So we have we have a dual dueling Hercules situation going on. Also just found out there is an NFL Africa, which is pretty dope. 
But I'm looking at the uh, six players from Nigeria that are going on teams, and I can tell you very confidently that our guy is by far the, the most jacked. Like, if, if I got to pick which one of these guys kicked the crap out of me, he would be last on the list. Although that, that uh, Okoye for the Chargers, that dude's, that dude's pretty scary too. First choice would be David Ebuka Agoha. I feel like I could land like two punches and then, you know. Although, it might be better if this guy just sleeps me, you know what I mean? Rather than just getting stomped out in a corner somewhere. No? Okay, let's, let's move on. Uh, a lot of buzz about Kevin King. Apparently, he uh, took some time, decided he was going to you know, work out, try to make a big NFL comeback. I was actually pretty impressed with Kevin King the last time he was in Green Bay. They moved him into the slot, and he actually seemed like he was doing a decent job. But as was the case often with Kevin King, injuries kind of derailed his comeback. He ended up tearing his Achilles. So um, I guess he's only 28 years old, so he could take another year and come back in 2024 at 29 and see if he can get himself a job, get himself a contract. I kind of feel bad for Kevin King. I think it's another situation where, you know, I mean, if this guy was just like a fifth-round pick, we'd probably love the guy. I and mean, love might be a little strong considering what happened in Tampa, but I don't think it would have been as bad. I think the fact that, you know, T.J. Watt lingers heavy. He was basically our first pick, kind of like a first-round pick, basically. Never really lived up to the hype with his, you know, height and speed. And again, this is another guy, I think he ran like 4.43 or something, back when we thought 4.43 was like the fastest thing in the universe. And now he would be like the slowest guy on our team, <laughs> in our secondary. But yeah, it definitely sucks for him and uh, his attempts at a comeback, and I uh, wish him the best. Anyways, I, I kind of think we touched on uh, most of the minor news. There's a ton of interviews that I'd love to be able to touch on and whatnot, but I kind of want to just continue on with some of the bigger, broader discussions we've had just to kind of further fine-tune our thinking on um, just the way everything works, right? Again, I think there's a lot of things that we say because we've always said it, and there's a lot of things that have always been said in, in you know, amongst... Packer fans and NFL fans and all that stuff. And some of it is just personal things that I think that need to be tweaked. And some of it, honestly, is just like casual fan speak that all of us have adopted and just assume is real without even really thinking. So it's good to kind of just step back and, and think what it is we believe and why, we, why it is we believe it, et cetera, et cetera. But anyways, why don't we just start with this? Because I don't really know where to start. Mike Sando from The Athletic wrote an article, NFL Draft 2023, Executives Unfiltered on All 32 Classes. Eagles overrated? Did Jets crush it or rush it? <laughs> you got AI right in your titles, don't you? Anyways, why don't we start by just kind of going through it. I'm not going to go team by team, obviously, because I couldn't care less about the uh, Arizona Cardinals. But I am curious about the NFC North and the Green Bay Packers, and then we'll take this and kind of take it a step further. What did they say about, in alphabetical order, the Chicago Bears? Again, this is an article from NFL executives commenting on drafts, which seems weird because, you know, these are your teams as well as rivals and whatnot. But anyways, it says, One criticism. The Bears entered the offseason with the number one pick but did not necessarily emerge with a consensus elite difference maker in a draft that was short on them. No one is game planning for a solid right tackle, which is what the Bears targeted in right with the 10th pick after moving back twice from number one. Quote, if they're going to spend this year evaluating Justin Fields to see if they're going to be going up for a quarterback next year, you've got to give him every chance, an executive said. Getting a solid tackle is a good way to go, but when you turn Roquan Smith into Jervon Dexter and get Tyreek Stevenson with one of the Carolina picks, is that going uh, to get us fired up? My favorite part about that is the fact that NFL executives seem to be of the belief, despite what I'm sure Bears fans believe, that this is an evaluation year. In other words, they didn't ship away the first pick because they know Fields is the guy. They shipped it away, well, for, for one or two of two reasons. One, they still they, they didn't want to give up yet. Two, the quarterbacks are garbage <laughs> this year's class. Quote, maybe these guys are going to be good, the executive said. My guess is they're going to be, uh, at best, solid starters who play four years and hit free agency. Yikes says, anyone who thought the Bears were not spending their first pick on a lineman was drunk, another executive said. In a league where Bill Belichick was out there in free agency clapping over the fact he signed Riley Reef, I think Chicago looked as, at Detroit as the model for building a solid offensive line. Think how many drafts Detroit took to shore that up. 
That's what Chicago is going to do. So they're going to swing and swing and swing and swing and swing and swing and swing to fix their offensive line, I guess. Detroit, quote, using a first-round pick to swap out a non-premium position, that was a weird one, an executive said. How great does Gibbs have to be to justify it? And again, the, the swapping is important. They already had Jamal Williams and, and DeAndre Swift. Is that his name? Why does that not sound right? Swift, whatever. You lost both of them and then got Gibbs in the first round. I'm not saying the other two guys were necessarily elite, but if this guy isn't significantly better than both of those guys combined, what the heck are you doing? I think it's really high to take Gibbs number 12, and it was high to take Campbell number 18, and you paid those positions in free agency with almost identical three-year $18 million contracts, one exec said. That said, Gibbs is dynamic, and that offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, is going to get the most out of him. They're going to be hard to defend. Yeah, (laughs) okay. Harder than they were last year? Skip down to the Vikings before we get to the Packers. Says they uh, lost Thielen and Adam jo- added Jordan Addison, then got two defensive backs, uh, Makai Blackman and Jay Ward. Mostly uh, seems like the executives kind of liked it, but the, the commentary is largely, hey, you got to respect the offense, but you wish you'd have done something for the defense. Says you lose Thielen and then you add a really good route runner and Addison, a good, uh, good get for them. You probably wish they would have gotten more for the defensive side of the ball, but they had to get the receiver where they got him, while greater depth at corner let them get uh, one who will fit Flores' system. It starts off with a pretty funny little statistic. It says, For the first time since the AFL and NFL combined for a common draft in 1967, the Packers selected three pass catchers among the top 100 selections in the same draft, but not before adding a league-high seventh first-round pick to their defense, since 2018. Why didn't they do this like eight years ago, an exec said. Last time Green Bay selected more than one pass catcher among the top 100 picks was in 2014 when the Packers drafted Devontae Adams and Richard Rodgers. When you have a top-tier quarterback, whether it's Aaron Rodgers or Peyton Manning, you don't always need top-tier receivers, another executive said. Think about all those New England teams with Brady. We really like Jaden Reed, another executive said. That was a good pick given what we knew about him. Feisty, competitive, a really good sound number two receiver. As for uh, first-round pick Lucas Van Ness, he's a good player, and exactly what the NFC North experience said, they probably took him where he should go. All right, so this is, this is an article. A bunch of NFL executives are commenting on all of these things. So anyways, I want to, uh, and I'm, I'm going to highlight something for you. There is a YouTube channel called Unexpected Points. As I've been delving more and more into process and statistics and things like that, just to get things correct and i know there's a big beef between like the statistics people and the the non-statistics people and i used to be a little bit more on the non-statistics because i feel like you know numbers can't give you the whole picture and you know any old nerd can come along knows nothing about football and is going to crunch numbers and figure things out you're not going to know what you're talking about but at the end of the day the numbers are what they are and they're going to be able to kind of assess how good you are at what you're doing. So I don't know if I said it, unexpected points. He's actually got a sub stack that I subscribe to, so you're going to have to pay for that if you want to go check it out. But there's a YouTube channel where he talks about this article. One of the things that really surprises me is, um, and again, it depends where you fall on this. Um, I I know the NFL in general also has, seems to have a lot of pushback about, you know, NFL statistics and whatnot, even though they're they're working their way in. I remember there was, seemed to be a lot of pushback on, um, kind of running with the numbers. And I, I listen, I know the numbers are probably not perfect. They're not perfectly fine-tuned to give you the right answer all the time. But I, I, I guess the issue that I'm having is it seems like the NFL and some of the executives and whatnot, it's, it's such an archaic good old boys club that when they say things, especially because I, I have been programmed to think a lot of these things as well, it, it kind of, I don't even think about it until somebody highlights it. One of the things that's highlighted in this article talks about B. John Robinson. Here's the quote from the executive, right? Remember, we're talking one of the highest level people in the NFL. Now, maybe this is just a one-off kind of thing, you know, just a, a way of try to, trying to say things nice. But remember, these guys do get drafted. I mean, Bijan got drafted really high. You know, the running back we just talked about, whatever his name is, got drafted real high. But here's what it says. It says, everyone selected below Bijan probably has fewer first-round grades amongst the 32 teams than Bijan did, an executive said. Would you rather have a guy at a non-premium position that you feel confident being top three at the position or a guy that is just going to be okay or carry greater risk? And then it says, the goal is to draft good players first and foremost. And Gutekunst made a similar comment to this. Now, without even really getting into it, 
don't we all know for a fact that that last sentence is wrong? If we completely do away with um, positional value and just say, who is the absolute biggest freak possible? And you look at it and say, okay, well, I, I, I agree. You should take the biggest freak possible. Let me just interject with one thing here. What if the biggest freak in the draft is a kicker? I'm talking about in comparison to every other one in history. I'm talking like this is the best, say, punter in comparison to every other punter that we've ever seen. Should that punter, for example, go number one overall? So, so the point is, it's not just that black and white. And um, he's showing here that he had posted on Twitter, the, the goal is not to draft good players first and foremost. It's to win football games. And he's shown several times that <laughs> every time this guy, I forget his name, can follow him on Twitter and get some of these. Let me go back real quick. Kevin Cole. It's at Kevin Cole underscore. But um, being somewhat somewhat of an analytics nerd, whenever he tweets things out, it sounds like there's he just gets absolutely eviscerated by people. And 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 that's for two reasons. Number one, there are a lot of sort of anti-numbers people. And number two, the the ally of the anti-numbers people are the casual fans. That's not to say if you don't agree that you're casual, but all casual people fall on the side of sort of anti-statistics. So, I mean, I, I would imagine, I'm, I'm just looking at his YouTube, so I don't know what the quote tweets say, but I'm guessing it's something to the effect of, gee, I wonder how you win good games. Is it to draft good players, you idiot? Again, casual thinking as opposed to actually thinking these things through. And honestly, a lot of people, even in Packernet After Dark, have been kind of honing in on this a little bit, right? Like, well, is it trade back all the time? Well, no, it's not, right? And so it's, it's fine-tuning, but ultimately what we need to fine-tune is the GM's job is to build the best possible football team. And so any sort of dogmatic thinking, and, and a lot of the thinking, even for myself, is dogmatic, kind of has to go out the window at some level, right? Best player available? Not necessarily. Even the discussion about, you know, if you, if you have an elite quarterback, you always take him. If this was Aaron Rodgers in 2009, would we have drafted a quarterback in the back of the first round or even the front of the first round? No, we would not. No. If this, if this was like post-Super Bowl Aaron Rodgers, zero chance. What we would have done is taken that opportunity to trade back for a team that wanted to come up and get that quarterback. Even though, because it, here's the exact point, and here's exactly why I'm saying that. If you look at process and best player available, they intersect at, let's say, this quarterback. He is the highest value position that you can get. And he's the best player available. Why would we not do it? Because it's not just about value, positionally, and it's not just about best player available. It's ultimately always about putting the best team together. And if those two things intersect at a quarterback, that's great. But if that quarterback sits on your bench, what value does he actually provide to your team, right? So that's where the, the dogma of you, you have to do it kind of fails because we got to remember that it always comes back to building the best possible roster, winning games, winning championships. I mean, ultimately, we should say the goal is to win Super Bowls because that just removes all the variables. Because even if we say, well, the goal is to win games, assuming that winning games is going to get you to the Super Bowl, well, not necessarily. What if there are certain people that are good in the regular season and not in the postseason? I can't think of why that would be, but if that's a situation, maybe they, you know, they, they don't do well as the season goes on, their body breaks down, whatever the case is. The point is, let's just call it what it is. What is the goal? Win Super Bowls, then that's the goal. And, and the best way for the GM to do that is to build the highest quality roster. And then from there, if you see it as sort of a decision tree that kind of breaks off, now we have things like best player available, positional value, you know, trading back and value curve, all, all these different things. But again, to say from an executive, the goal is to draft good players first and foremost, completely misses the mark for several reasons. And he may know that and he's just saying nonsense for the sake of just being cliche. I don't know. But it is funny how, in, in, even if we say, well, that, you know, that, if we fall on the anti-number side, look at where we're trending. Even even with the like going forward on fourth down and all that kind of stuff. That that was all statistic things that the you know the good old boys club said. No, you never do that. You don't do that. And then the numbers said you do do that. And some people tried it, and then it became more successful. And now it's becoming much more prevalent that you do do that. And I suppose part of the thinking in that too does kind of, as I've said, no team is 100% best player available, and no team is 100% a need-drafting team, but every single team is somewhere on that spectrum. 
And you can honestly, I mean, let, let's let's not be stupid about it. We can see that the Packers have done this, right? Back, I mean, I, PFF was just, when they were grading the, the Packers draft, I think they gave us a B plus. They gave everybody a B plus, so it's kind of irrelevant. But one of the things they talked about is how much the Packers love to double and triple up and kind of just scattershot certain positions. But if you look at it, isn't it every single year we do that, but we scattershot a position that we need? It's very obvious that it's not just best player available, right? So it, it is a spectrum. But it's also, every, every single thing is like a tool. But remember, it's, you know, in other words, well, is it, is it best player available or is it need-based? It, what the goal is to get to maximize value. So when you look at Lucas Van Ness, you look at the, the value that he brings and the total value that he can bring to your team, but also the, the value is a sort of a per-snap thing. It's cumulative. It's not like you draft him and now you get all the value. No, you get value on a play-to-play, snap-to-snap basis, and that cumu- accumulates over time. And so again, a quarterback that never plays doesn't provide you any value. So an edge rusher has a lot of value, but it's also a position of need that he's going to be playing. Now, he's going to be sort of number three in line, probably, although he'll probably start off as the number two. But even that is kind of irrelevant because his play time is probably going to be extremely high. Partially because Rashawn, the the heavy rotation, even when Rashawn is back, but also because you look at the outside and inside versatility. So even if we want Rashawn and Preston on the field, it doesn't mean he comes off. He probably is on the interior. In fact, he'll probably spend, as as Clayton has pointed out, probably spend more time on the interior throughout the year just based on the way he's built and the things he does well now and the fact that we already have Rashawn and Preston. If you look at the tight ends, it was not a coincidence that we got two tight ends, that we doubled up on it. And, and tripled up on receiver again. And so the bottom line is, although we don't know who's going to make it and who's not, we've drafted, what, eight pass catchers? Three wide receivers, three wide receivers, two tight ends in the last two years, not including undrafted free agents. So part of that equation also is, if you acknowledge there is a percentage that will make it and won't make it, you're going to look at it and say, we are going to have a wide receiver that works out. We're going to have, you know, even if you look at the tight end, you look at the value of tight ends in, the, in this particular draft, Taking what the draft gives you, again, that's just another piece that you can use. The value of tight end, but also the value of them being on the field a lot, because it's a position that you don't have a need to fill. This is not a backup position. But then even if one, only one of the two pans out, it still was worth it, because we need somebody to work at tight end. If we get both, great. Like, if it's a Watson and Dobbs situation where it's like, I kind of think they're both going to be pretty good, awesome. But if it's not, and only one pans out, guess what? Good enough. Good enough. That's not a failure. If Musgrave does not pan out, but but Tucker Craft ends up being like a, I don't want to say top five because it seems too high, but also top ten. I mean, the, the 10th best tight end probably sucks. So top five-ish tight end, I, I couldn't care less. So again, it there's all these different variables that the GM and, and everybody else needs to kind of combine and look at from different perspectives, but ultimately it comes down to the value that they're going to bring to the team to build the best possible team for the ultimate goal of winning games and ultimately, hopefully, winning championships. It is not a static or dogmatic anything. At least it shouldn't be. Draft, ultimately, always draft good players. No. Best player available. No. I mean, for, from, I mean, yes, best player available, of course. Yeah, you, you draft the guy that you think is best for your team. But best player available from the standpoint of building a static, linear board and just taking the guy at the top? No, that's stupid. By the way, I like this guy a lot because he just reminds me of me. He's just mocking everybody. And he threw in a blah, blah, blah. It's like, dude, that's, that's me. That's this guy. We, we get each other. Another way to think about this is kind of what I've been hammering as I try to wrap my head around what's wrong with the Packers. And one of the things I've said is I, I feel like we have isolated silos of individual good players, but we don't have a good team. Sometimes we have a good team. You know, it's very intermittent, but these guys aren't playing together, right? I know Jair is a good football player. I know a lot of these guys are good football players, but when they're on the field going, I don't know what to do and they're blowing coverages because they don't know where to go, the value goes to zero of Jair. Even though he still graded out fine, I mean, it was nowhere near his potential. Because nobody knew what to do. The linebackers didn't know what they were doing, the corners, the safeties, everybody was lost on our defense. It's not going to be a great team just based on individuals who have a lot of talent. It's all got to come together. The, the scheme and everybody understanding it, but also everybody playing together as a team is what's going to help. It's, it's, it's a... It's almost like rowing, right? I mean, it's not just getting the biggest, strongest. Like, every, there has to be a rhythm to it. I don't know anything about rowing, but I just assume the rhythm is extremely important. Everybody's got to be in sync. 
if you're just drafting the best players, you're just focusing on getting individual elite guys that can do individual elite things without focusing on the bigger picture of creating a high-quality team that can compete for championships, right? So that was kind of the discussion with us, in particular, us drafting Bijan. Number one, the positional value, what can even even bring. Number two, you're taking one-third of his value because he's going to be sharing carries now with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. And even if he gets number one reps, it's still going to be very evenly split because that's just how we do things, and it's going to be a very low amount. So again, the value is cumulative. So take his total value as a running back, which is relatively low because it's a running back to begin with, then divide that by three individually is that guy a freak yeah is he on our team yeah did we draft a freak yeah do we have a freak on our team yeah all the freakiness man we got all the freakiness there but what is it actually doing to help build us closer to being a championship football team it's not a bad thing to have him but again imagine somebody gives you a hundred dollars and you go to a garage sale and you can only buy one item and there's a cd there for 10 bucks that you really really want these are expensive items at the garage sale don't worry at a store i guess you can walk out with that as your one item, but you essentially spent 100 because you're going to lose the money too. They take the money back. You, you essentially spent $100 on a $10 CD. That's a waste. Yeah, but it's what I wanted. Okay, fine, but you, you wasted the $100. You spent $100 on a $10 item. That essentially, in my opinion, assuming he even made it, which he didn't, would have been sort of what we would have been doing if the Packers drafted B. John Robinson in the first round. It's a great CD. The Chronic. <laughs> I don't know. I swear if anybody says, what's a CD, I'm going to punch you in the neck. I was just thinking about that. Like, when was the last time somebody actually used a CD and put it in something? I know I was doing it in 2005, but they were getting phased out pretty quick around that time. Anyways, it's a great CD, but you didn't maximize the value of the $100. That's all. It brings up, I should just play his video for you. Just just go check it out. I'm, I'm chopping it up. But again, it's, it's so in line with what we've been sort of going down this path. And I, I want to continue navigating it and, and, and making sure we're understanding this rightly. But he brings up another good point, and, and that is if you... And, and this is part of the, uh, the issue, too. You know, if you go back to 2021, what did I say? We had the number one tackle, number one quarterback, number one running back, number one wide receiver, number one corner, right? Down the free... Rashawn, number one, five, whatever. I don't know. Top five to number one all over the place. Loaded roster, Right? He said, look at the... Ch- and, and by the way, what is, what is my critique of the Chiefs? They don't have freaking talent. Their corners aren't good. Their safeties aren't good. They're, they, they've got one good defensive tackle. That freaking team sucks, and they win the Super Bowl every year. He said, if you lined up the Chiefs and the Eagles, the two teams that were in the Super Bowl, and you look position by position, which team is more loaded with talent? Hands down, it's the Eagles. If you just go position by position, better left tackle, Eagles. Better right, right guard, Eagles. You know, just all the way down across not every single position will be eagles but the vast majority of the win column will go to the eagles it will not even be close but why do the chiefs win every year or or you know why do they win so often and and dominate so many teams including the eagles who are much better at almost every single position because the positions that the chiefs have that are high value are high value positions they have maybe the best quarterback in football The, the the value of that alone trumps almost an entire roster of stacked players. Then you add Travis Kelsey, who's probably by far the number one tight end. Elite, elite tight end. And honestly, just those two things, for the most part, are enough to overcome so many other things, on top of, of course, Andy Reid being a good play caller and all that kind of stuff. But again, it's just trying to refocus the thinking. How can we maximize the value? Go look around the league at the teams that have those elite running backs. How many of them are dominant because of the running backs? How many of them are garbage despite the running backs? I would say most of the time that's the case. The Giants get Saquon. The Raiders running back is just elite, has done nothing. I mean, and, and again, I shouldn't say he's done nothing. He's been fantastic, but that's the whole point. He can be the best possible version of himself, number one running back in football, and the team is garbage. It doesn't carry the weight. There is no instance in history where you have the number one quarterback in football and the team is garbage. That doesn't happen. I'm not saying they're going to win the Super Bowl. I mean, if you don't have a good supporting cast, a good offensive line, et cetera, et cetera, you're going to struggle. But this is this is why I keep hammering the Chicago Bears because they're all, oh, oh, no, it's just the offensive line and the wide receiver. It doesn't matter. If Justin Fields is truly a, a dominant quarterback, but we just haven't seen it yet, you would not be the worst team in football. That would not happen. If you put Patrick Mahomes on that Chicago Bears football team, they probably go to the playoffs. 
throw Andy Reid in there too because I, you know, he needs to have his whole thing. Put 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 him and Travis Kelsey there. Everything else stays the same. Get rid of DJ Moore. He goes away. Give him last year's roster that was the worst in football. They're going to the playoffs. They probably won't win. And who knows? Maybe they maybe they just missed the playoffs. I don't know. But they will not get the number one pick in football. Absolutely not. So then then you got to ask yourself, why do you want it then? Christian McCaffrey. Look look at when. Uh, I mean, the, the Panthers had a pretty good run, and he was involved in that run, but when the run collapsed and Christian McCaffrey's still there, granted he's had a ton of injury issues, but did he do anything to elevate that team or stop the slide? No. So why do you want that? I mean, if you're going to gift it to me, fine, but I'm not going to pay you, you know, $15 million to come here. I love having a good running back. It's awesome, and it certainly can help, but th- there's no denying the fact that at least not in, in modern day, may, may, there, there's probably a time in history where there was very few things more valuable than a running back or a, a fullback. But that's not today. It's also the reason why I'm just not sh- uh, sh- scared of the Chicago Bears. Most elite runner in football. I don't care. That doesn't scare me. I've never seen a quarterback that is an elite runner and a garbage passer and the team ends up being good. It doesn't happen. You have to throw. Elite throwing is what's going to scare me to death. And so you, you want to impact the game. You want, you want to be those guys that, you know, when you step in, you're a difference maker. You know, that, that number one corner that can erase a wide receiver from a game. The value of that is unbelievable as compared to a linebacker who stands there and tackles guys after they go for four yards. Like, cool, dude. You know, and, and, and we always think to those elite linebackers who make those, those you know, few good plays. You know, Ray Lewis or whatever, you know? And of course those guys are valuable. I'm not going to pretend that they're not. But we're talking about the exception to the exception to the rule. And even then... They don't match up to the top edge rushers and cornerbacks, etc. So all of these guys have value. Linebackers, running backs, tight ends, kickers, punters, all that stuff. All of them have some value. And you want to get good ones on your team for sure. But the point is, don't get carried away with the evaluation. Like I, even I did with Bijan, you know? Like, that guy is so good. He is good. But even if he's everything you've ever wanted him to be, he's not going to be the difference maker in, in bringing your team from from mediocrity to a Super Bowl championship. He's not the guy that, hey, things are falling apart, let's just lean on him. That, that's just not a thing right now. And it also kind of dovetails back into the Jordan Love thing. When you know Aaron Rodgers is on the way out, and again, the goal is not to accumulate the most good players. T. Higgins would have been a good pick. Fine. Let's forget the fact that nobody was asking for him and everybody wanted the freaking linebacker who's garbage and all that stuff. And almost nobody got you know, <clears throat> their fifth round options exercised in that draft class, et cetera, et cetera. Let's just, let's just assume T. Higgins is the guy. As Packer fans, we should realize at this point that accumulating talent is not the answer because that's what we've been doing, and the GM has done a fantastic job of continually accumulating talent. But rather than accumulating another wide receiver or another whatever, recognizing that this team goes to zero if we don't find a quarterback. We have one on the way out. Again, the only reason he even played as long as he did, I think, is because we drafted him. So if you don't draft him, he probably leaves sooner and we don't have a quarterback. There's nothing more pivotal or important than that position and getting that thing right. So you can accumulate and amass as many pieces as you want. You can get a a great wide receiver and a great running back and a great tight end and a great pass rusher and a great safety. If we don't have a quarterback, none of those accumulated pieces matter. It's almost borderline like the 49ers. I mean, they've, they've begun accumulating talent. And I still think they have a, a decent amount of holes compared to teams like the Eagles. But let's just let's just assume that they're loaded. I mean, they got Christian McCaffrey. They got a decent offensive line. They've certainly got some good wide receivers. Now they've got a great tight end. They've got some extremely good defensive pieces, including maybe the best pass rusher in football. And yet, they can't seem to get it done. And I don't think they will because they have Brock Purdy at the helm. That's also why they expended so much to get a quarterback in Trey Lance, which of course didn't work out. So... I guess all of that to say, if we step back and look at the draft class from a holistic standpoint, how much additional value did we add to the team overall, which includes value of the position and also the the uh, likelihood, I guess, that they're even really going to be playing? Like, I love that running back we got at the, the, in the later rounds, but is he going to play? Right? DeBose, is, 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 is he going to play? These are late round guys. I'm just saying, like, that factors in to the overall value of the guys that we got. Anyways, we're about halfway. Why don't we take a break? We'll come back in and kind of touch on a couple different little points here. Um, One of the things that he brings up, and I've seen many people reference this book. I should probably just go get it. But the book is called Super Forecasting, The Art and Science of Prediction. So anyways, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back and and, um, discuss it. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive 
eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. I know this is sort of deviating from, it's, it's kind of wild swings, right? Sometimes you tune in and it's just freaking tribalistic, animalistic, throat screaming, you know? And sometimes it's like, dude, I didn't show up to freaking sign up for a chemistry class. Like, what is this garbage? But it's, it's, it's really cool because it, just a lot of the stuff he's saying really connects and intertwines really well with some of the stuff that I, I guess I had sort of come to either from what some people had said or I had seen or just thinking it through. Now, this book is not necessarily, uh, to, as far as I know, it has, it's really nothing to do with the NFL draft. It's, it's just a, a book about the art and science of prediction. But one of the f- funny things about it, which actually makes a ton of sense, again, thinking back, if you haven't been listening for a while, I'll, I'll give you a brief explanation of my idiotic thought process as far as where I've come to in, in my thinking. And that is essentially, there is, let's say, 100% of knowledge which would say, I know 100% how good this player is going to be and how long they're going to play, et cetera, et cetera. We obviously don't have that. In fact, I don't think we're even close to it. I think in, in my, um, when I previously talked about it, that I said, let, let's say we could fill up 50% of, in other words, you do everything perfect in terms of your scouting. You know everything about their history. You've watched every single snap, their hand movements, every single thing. You fill that thing all the way up and you get up to 50%. I don't even think it's 50%. In terms of your ability to pro- project and predict how good this player is going to be solely based on your film evaluation. But let's just say it is 50%. But the other 50% is completely unknown. I think what this book is, is, is alluding to is that in most things, it's significantly less than 50%. It may be, I'm, I'm just going to make this up, but in my mind, I'm thinking it's probably closer to about 10%. Which means 90% we have no idea, which really goes to show, I mean, in, in everything, right? The stock market is completely volatile. The, the NFL draft is just a crapshoot, right? It's throwing darts at a dartboard. A random monkey making picks, probably going to be about as successful as an NFL GM. So the question is, what do you do with that information? It doesn't mean that the evaluation is useless, whether it's 5% or 50% or 90%. Either way, it's useful. But the, the question is, how much, well, I guess there's two questions. Do, number one, do you use that as your baseline? Or is there another baseline and you use that to supplement your baseline? But number two, ultimately, how much are we weighting this? So if if we went up to weighting it at 100%, the only thing, and this is what we hear GM say all the time, the only thing that matters is the tape, 
right? That's what we care about is our evaluation of these guys and the tape and all that kind of stuff. But what Super Forecasting says, allegedly, is that and and any average person who decided to really delve into statistics and all these kinds of things and did it very humbly and with no bias would end up being significantly better, not just than, than above NFL GMs, but any expert in the field. In fact, the book says that experts are the absolute worst. And it makes sense because the fact of the matter is we don't know what's going to happen. Let's just stick with the NFL draft. We don't know. So if you stick with process, which is high value players, you know, maximizing value, whatever, if you really lean on that, you're going to end up at that, whatever that baseline is. If you, if you get, you know, on, on average, the baseline is you get three really good players out of your seven picks, really good ranging from like decent starter to elite player. You get three of those guys out of your seven, right? As long as you stay there, you stay even keel, you'll probably do a pretty good job getting exactly what the draft gives you. The problem with experts is that they lean too much into their knowledge and they overvalue it. Because again, in their own mind, they're experts and their film is what's most important. And it makes sense when your entire life revolves around studying film and studying tape and you have an entire massive department with all these scouts who do nothing but scour tape and they go into their backgrounds and all this stuff. It makes sense to them a lot of times to deviate from what the baseline would tell you from, from the standpoint of we don't know what's going to happen. So we should play it safe. But again, from an expert standpoint, it comes down to, no, that guy is elite. Like, I have him in, as a blue-chip player, right? For example, Bijan, that is a blue-chip player. And Lucas Van Ness is sort of, you know, in, in that sort of 7.5 out of 10 tier, whatever that is. Which is fine, that's great and all, but this dude is a blue-chipper. Now, don't, don't give me, and, and, and that's kind of the thing. And, and one of the, if you guys have heard of Theo Ash, I guess this is the guy that kind of went nuts and, and blew up his tweet and was picking on him or whatnot, but not very good arguments. But his whole thing was, well, what would be better? An elite running back or a bad tackle? Which, of course, is a stupid way to look at it. Because it comes from the standpoint of 100% knowledge. It also comes from a ridiculous idea that a early first-round tackle would be bad, and we know that. That would just be kind of silly. But again, if we have 100% knowledge, and you told me Bijan Robinson is a 9.5 out of 10, and... Um, you know, Darnell Wright, who I really like, is is like a 7.5 out of 10. You know, you you, you got to think about it a little bit. Maybe you still lean tackle. Maybe you do want the run. You know, it, it is a lot of value. But that's only assuming we have 100% knowledge. What if it's only 50%? What if you're 50% sure that he's a 9.5 and this is a 7.5? So we, we, we could be at a point where actually the tackle is slightly better, potentially. What if it's only 20% knowledge? Now that 9.5 and that 7.5 are essentially useless. And so again, that's where you come to that point where when you have your tiers set up and you look at it and say, you know, we got uh, a tackle that we like and an edge rusher that we like, what should we do? Assuming there's really nothing process-wise that's, that's pushing you one way or another, that's where your film and your evaluation comes in and you say, based on the tape and based on what we've seen, this guy's a better football player. You know, let's just say at pick 13, they were looking at, I don't even know who was available there at tackle. Let's just assume tackle and edge are roughly the same value. I think Broderick Jones, my guy, was still there, right? Because he, he went like one pick later, I think, because the Steelers jumped up and sniped him. That could be one of those situations where, from a process standpoint, don't care, right? The, the robot mind, the, these guys don't care. I don't know what all goes into the to the forecasting. There's probably more to it. But let's just let's just look at positional value and let's assume that they're about the same. If the Packers did their due diligence and they study the tape and they say Van Ness is a, a 7.9 and Broderick is a 7.7. All right, Lucas Van Ness it is. Let's do it up, right? We need a tackle. We need an edge. Both extremely valuable. Go to the tape. But the point is if they're over projecting, then they're going to end up more wrong than just your average Joe who really gets into statistics and studies the draft and, and, and does these things. Now, the ultimate combination is that with a scouting department so that you know, when you come to these sort of bumps in the roads, that's when scouting can kind of give you that extra 20% boost or whatever, you know, we're saying that that is. But again, this is a statistical book who did a, a ton of research and basically said, no matter what area you're looking at, the experts are more wrong than, let's just say, your, your average Joe person who, I mean, in some cases, we could just be talking about random drawing. You know, I mean, your, your average... Uh, I'll reference Dave Ramsey for the first for the second time in like a couple days. Your average guy just following the basic Dave Ramsey plan can end up miles ahead of these guys doing stock these experts stock trading 
because they rely on their expertise to believe that if I buy this, I'm going to get mega rich, and then that thing tanks and you're in trouble because your expertise only gives you about 10% more extra knowledge, but it's still 90% volatility. So you'd be better off just investing in growth stock mutual funds, you know. Get out of debt, 15%, boom, done, good to go. (laughs) Anyways, I found this quote kind of funny because this is kind of exactly what I said might be the right way to do it is uh, a blending of the the nerds and the scouts, but uh, this was his take on it, which I thought was pretty funny and apparently got feedback. Um, what I saw was an interesting idea as they talk about like the scouts doing the scouting and then the nerds coming in and adjusting the board. <laughs> they ain't ready for that though. In scouting. Uh, let me tell you, they're not going to want to put in and like not see their families for four months. And then they're like, Bijan's our number five graded guy. And then the nerds come in and move it to 25. They're not going to like that. I even got feedback from someone who works for an NFL team when I tweeted that out saying, yeah, that's pretty much the case. <laughs> they, they don't like us if we're going to move stuff around like that. So that's also part of the problem. when it comes. And, and again, that's, that's what I was saying, too. There is a pride factor, which is, is an understandable thing. It's not, I'm not just trying to knock it. Again, these guys, have, they're, they're not seeing their families. They're on the road. They're putting in unbelievable amounts of work. And then to have some guy that knows close to nothing about football, at least to the degree that they do, for them to come in and say, well, the numbers say this, and to just completely jack up their entire board based on what some robot says somewhere, there's no way. I mean, you, you'd have scouts leaving legitimately. Like, I'm, I'm not doing this. I'm not putting in this work just to have Mark from IT come in here and jack up all the work I've done. But again, this is going to lead to flaws. And, and I think there's just a part of that in, in football. It's, football is a, it's a human game. You know, it's the same if you look at officiating. It would be better if robots just did it, you know? I don't mean literal robots, but I mean, you know, sensors and all different kinds of technology. Again, let Elon Musk figure out how to do it, you know? Let, let these nerds figure out how to get officiating correct. They don't want that. We got refs, like it's not perfect, but it's, it's a human thing, you know? There's a lot of pride in in this legacy that's been passed down of coaching and scouting. And to have data come in and say, actually, we can do it a little bit better. We can kind of clean this up and help you do this. Like, get out of here. There is a stubbornness to it. But at the end of the day, we're still seeing a movement in that direction. And I'm not saying it's perfect. Because, again, I do think the scouting takes up a certain percentage. You absolutely need that. I think, again, I think if you have the nerds run it entirely with no scouting, you just end up with the baseline every year. And that's not necessarily great, right? You, you want to kind of outpace everybody, which is getting maximal process along with maximal scouting to make sure we get everything right. Because the numbers can say what the numbers say, but if the guy's got red flags all over the place, you got to know the human being, the work ethic and all that kind of stuff, right? That's why he was saying, you guys build the board and then we tweak it, not we build the board and you tweak it. But anyways, um, we'll get off this real quick. I wanted to look at something else. Uh, again, just kind of hammering home a point. Uh, Mr. Numberman had heard some of the things that I was talking about, and he kind of is is uh, backfilling a little bit of the information. One of the things I had talked about is what Todd is his name, but I call him Mr. Numberman because he's, you know, numbers guy. He's been, as I go along, just kind of feeding me these things. And he's been, I guess, sort of nudging me in this direction because, you know, the data is something I can't really push back super hard against. So when I say something, he's like, yeah, here's why you're wrong. It's like, get, ugh, I can't, I can't, uh, can't defeat it. But, and, and part of the reason why the, the numbers kind of aren't maybe necessarily liked is because it does take some of the fun out of it. Because let's be honest, most of us, as smart as we think we are, we're, we're, we're pretty much casual fans. You know, at the end of the day, what we like is cheering real loud for stuff. We have no idea. We're, we're, we're screaming for Jordan Love. We don't freaking know what that guy can do. He might suck. I have no idea. But we're pumped. The draft class, Jaden Reed, are you kidding me? You're going to be so good. That's what we are as fans. And so there's an element of like, at some point, you look at the numbers and you're like, that's cool, I don't care. But at the same time, I, I, for me anyways, and I think for a lot of fans, there's, there's kind of this dueling thing. There's being a fan that's like cheering and doesn't care and blah, 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 you know, the ref is always screwing us. And then there's like the part where we actually want to sit down and understand things and they really shouldn't blend together. And one of the things that I had talked about is, you know, we talk about the Jets and how great they're going to be. It's like, well, yeah, but they have a championship defense according to what they were last year. Do you know what they were two years ago? They were dead last, 32nd. You say, yeah, well, that's they were bad, but then that was like the first year in the system, and then year two, they got it, so now they're going to be good forever. 2021, number, the number five ranked defense was the Rams. 
2022, they went to 18th, right? I mean, it's, it's as he says here, it's anecdotal. It's just two teams, but you got the best defensive player in the entire NFL on that team. They dropped to 18th. Why? I don't know. It's volatility. But there's an article here from 538, which is another data-driven site, by Josh Hermsmeyer, why the NFL can't rely on defense. You can go read the article. There's a lot of good data, but essentially one of the... So it seems to me there's there's two main points. Number one is that relying on defense to actually win you championships is not going to be a winning strategy. Even if we assume you have a good defense, you're you're ultimately going to get dismantled by the really good offense. That's That's seemingly how the article... Is, is pointing, but I, I think the bigger point and what we're more, what I'm more focused on right now is that you cannot rely on it from week to week or year to year for consistency, which is real frustrating for a team that has invested so much in defense. But that can be a positive and a negative. But again, what, what are we doing? The Packers defense is going to be bad because they were bad last year, not toward the end, but whatever. The, the Jets defense is going to be good because it was good last year. And this is a defense specific thing. It says here that as far as uh, predicting the ability to do it next year, like, for example, fumbles, interceptions, and sacks, those things, wildly unpredictable. You dominate in, you know, you led the league in fumble or interceptions. This is why that uh, defensive, uh, the cornerback for Dallas a couple years ago, I think he was, as a rookie, led the league in, in interceptions by a massive margin. And it's, it's the, as great as it is, it's the most useless thing in the world. Because the only thing I knew is that he was not going to do that again next year. And so essentially you have to assess him based on all the things he did minus the thing that made him great. And as unfair as that seems, it's the reality. And the thing is, we, we actually know this, right? We, we, we all know and accept generally some of these things, like um, you know the, the reproducibility of a team that had a lot of uh, fumble recoveries or interceptions. We know that that's not really a replicable, replicable thing. And in fact, one of the biggest indicators of a defense that's about to fall off is a defense that was uh, a really good defense that was really high in things like interceptions. It's a really good indication because you have a very good idea they're not going to be able to replicate that. And so when you strip that away, it really hurts the defense. And really, projecting out the defense's ability to replicate, if you don't mind... <laughs> I might have a mountain of uh, monster cans next to me, and that was just inevitable. They were stacked pretty good there for a minute. Anyways, patreon.com if you want to d- uh, donate to my monster fund. I ran out of monsters. Back in that podcast on Venmo, I'm just saying. <laughs> Hit a brother up. I'm getting a little sleepy. What was I saying? Oh, it's... it's so, so let me give you some numbers here, just to, to be able to quantify it. So there is a chart, which is a little confusing for me because I'm a little bit slow, but... Um, Here's how it's worded, and I'll do my best to explain it. It's labeled as share of performance across various team-level metrics predicted by the previous season's performance in the regular season, 2009 through 2018. Essentially, you could think of it, I think, in terms of, like, DNA. So if your offense is producing well or whatever, how much of what your offense is, is directly attributable to what you were last year. So if you think about it in terms of like passing genes onto your kids, and that kid says, okay, how much of my attitude is determined by, you know, my, my parents, how much of my eye color comes from my parents, and you can kind of break down and say how much of this is attributable to what happened in the past. From lowest to highest, fumbles, 1.6%. In other words, and again, I'm still trying to wrap my head exactly around what this means. The 1.6% of your production in terms of fumbles is directly attributable to last year. Maybe you already understand, and I'm just dumbing this down for myself, but maybe another way to say this. If you think about it in terms of like the defense is good, how much of the goodness of the defense did we see last year? You know, I don't know, man. I can't think of a right way to say it. You know, you, you can look at it and say, okay, well, Rashawn Gary is this, and what he does can, can be directly linked. You know what I mean? But the point is, there's still a lot of variables that cannot be accounted for. So even at the high end of this uh, chart, total offensive DVOA is the most predictable. It's 19%. So it, it, it's almost kind of like what we were talking about with the draft, where there's only so much that you can know. This is kind of similar. Only 19% of your offense can you look at, again, I'm probably saying this wrong, but you can look at and say, these things are transferable and can be reliable into next year. 
Total defensive DVOA, 9.7%. So we're talking over 90% of the variability that caused, let's say, the Jets to be a top five defense, assuming they were, I don't know, is a variable that is not transferable. That is to say, looking at a defensive DVOA to try to project next year's defensive DVOA is almost entirely useless. It is 10% reliable, 90% just complete static noise. And again, this is the frustration I have when you deal with a lot of people is we're so tuned into what happened last year as a reliable metric of what's going to happen next year. And we should know better than this. Even for offense, which is relatively reliable at 20%, is still 80% unreliable. And honestly, it, it, it's kind of funny too because you know last year I talked about how hard it's going to be to project how good our team is going to be because of the massive amount of variables. And that was especially true for the Packers because there were like losing Devontae and all that, not knowing how much that's going to impact things. Um, but really to, to some degree, even the most reliable, like the Packers over all these years in terms of bringing back the exact same guys, we're still maybe only at 20 ish percent of reliability in terms of, I know how good we're going to be at best, you know, about 20%. There are so many, un- you know, the, the, the schedule, the opponents, the, the slightly different players, the, the, just the flux of the individual players themselves. The injuries, the this, the that, you know, some players getting better, some players getting worse, some players getting added, detracted, coaches leaving, coaches coming in, freaking wind direction, you know, I mean, it, a slight uptick in the pressure rate because, you know, you lost your guard. How massive is that for a quarterback's overall season? So, again, they have uh, total offensive DVOA at 18.9%, passing DVOA about the same, 18.8%, and then there's a big drop-off. Defensive passing DVOA, 10%, so pass defense. Offensive rushing DVOA, 9.7. Total defensive DVOA, 9.7. Again, like I said, under 10%. Then you have defensive rushing DVOA, so how good or bad you are stopping the run, 8.3%. Although, if you're a Packer fan and you've been betting against their ability to stop the run, you have freaking nailed it since uh, forever. Then sacks plummet down to 3.6%. Interceptions, 2.4%. Fumbles, 1.6%. And that makes complete sense because fumbles are completely almost completely random with with the exception of a guy like peanut tillman or a team that kind of slightly emphasizes punching the ball out you might expect some slight elevation in their ability to force and recover fumbles but 94 percent of it is just completely random variability so anybody like a, a a newscaster or a sports reporter or whatever that says this is a team that does a great job in forcing turnovers no offense dumb dumb they probably did last year for sure, but you're projecting it next year, and that's wildly irresponsible. And this is why, by the way, I mean, e- even before I knew this, it-, it just made sense when I saw the Chicago Bears in 2018. Remember how just unbelievably elite they were, but remember, a big part of that was turnovers. So all the stats nerds, and, and this is the thing, you can hate the numbers all you want, but you know, good information, the people that have good information are the ones that are going to be able to better tell you what's about to happen, at least to the best of their ability, at least to get you to that 20%. It's not exactly how that works, but whatever. But the 2018 Bears, and and then on top of that, when you have Vic Fangio leaving, it just adds to the destabilization. So anybody putting their money on the Bears being able to replicate, not super smart. But again, what, what most average fans will say is, look at all the elite players, which is incorrect to begin with because it's not that they're elite players it's that these players played at an elite level last year they're not elite it's like like i said prince of mukamura was like a top 10 corner he's never been a top 10 corner in his life but we we look at last year and say elite whatever elite secondary elite defense it's not an elite defense it was an elite defense last year I know 2018 wasn't last year. I'm jumping around a little bit, but so I bring this up for several reasons. Number one, it's just generally understanding things. We we underhype our own defense because well, Joe Barry's an idiot, and our defense was terrible last year, so that means they're going to be bad. It doesn't mean that, right? I mean, there are some things that are predictable, but even with the Packers trying to predict when when you can't predict the variables, but we know we have good pieces, I feel relatively comfortable. It's not as though we have no good players, and so you can generally assume that they're probably not going to be able to put together a high-quality season, right? That's not exactly the case. So it's mostly just about understanding things and getting a better grasp on things. It's, it's also about you can't just look at last year and say that means it's going to happen this year. But again, it's, it's also about the New York Jets. 
when we have these conversations about, oh, come on, he's never had a defense this good. How, how do you know how good his defense is going to be? How do you know that? You don't know that. We don't know how good the offense is going to be. We think we know how good Garrett Wilson is because he had a good rookie season, but we don't know for sure. We have no idea what Lazard will be able to do, what Randall Cobb will be able to do. We don't know anything about the offensive line. We literally don't even know who the players are going to be on it, much less how they're going to perform. We don't know anything about Aaron Rodgers. We know he won MVP two years ago and three years ago, but we know he didn't play very well last year at all. We know he got a year older, et cetera, et cetera. Added motivation, different coaching staff, slightly, but some... We don't know anything. So they're, they're fun conversations to have, but they're also entirely useless conversations to have. You know, even even like when I started it about PFF saying he hasn't had a team this good since, oh, way back in 2021. Maybe this is the best team he's ever played on. It would be shocking considering the construction, but maybe. But also, maybe this team is just straight up hot garbage. Aaron Rodgers sees more pressure than he's ever seen in his entire life and thinks spiral negatively, rapidly. Don't know. Yeah, but he's got a defense. Yeah, does he though? Do you know that the Jets' defense would be better than the Packers' defense? I can answer that for you. You don't. You have no idea. Again, if we just look toward the end of the season, the Jets were pretty solid. They had the seventh-ranked defense via DVOA. Green Bay was third, though. Can we look at that, or does that not count? Because you have to include early in the season when, when things weren't clicking as opposed to the end of the season when things were clicking. And why do we have to do that? And also, the Jets ended clearly worse than they started, right? I, don't, I think they were higher than seventh for the season. Am I wrong? Yeah, they were fifth, so to go down to seventh, they must have slipped a little bit. Do we, do we pay more attention to the end of the season, or do we have to take the full season? And do we, should we add in last season? I mean, the season prior to that, when they were 32nd, or do we just throw that out entirely? So the final week of two years ago gets thrown out, but week one of last year gets 100% of our attention. Equal with, uh, you know, week 18. You see what I'm saying? It's all kind of nonsense. So what we need to do, and I know I make this really boring for everybody, when you look at the draft class, you simply look at it and go, I don't know. When you look at this season, you look at it and say, I don't know. You know why? Because you don't. You don't have any idea what this draft class is going to look like, how they're going to pan out, who's going to pan out, who's going to play early, who's going to take years to develop, who's never going to develop. We don't know anything about Jordan Love and how good he's going to be. We don't know anything about anything. We don't know how the wide receivers are going to perform. Maybe Christian Watson takes a step back, and last year was a little bit of a fluke. Maybe Romeo Dobbs had his like one game of 55 receptions, and that was about it, and he's going to flame out, and Jaden Reed is going to be terrible, and all these different things. What? Kids are getting restless. My, my little one needed to tell me she was eating chocolate. <sighs> Just trying to finish here. Tis getting late. Um, yeah, so, so we, we don't know. We don't know how our secondary is going to perform. We don't know who our safeties are going to be and how they're going to perform. We don't know what kind of injuries we're going to endure. We, we, we don't know how the tight ends are going to produce. Maybe they're going to be the, one, some of the better receiving tight ends that we've had in a long time. Maybe they're not going to be do much in, round, in, in year one at all. Don't know how the coaching is going to perform. So it is fun to engage once in a while. It's, and it, I, I generally think it's more fun to be optimistic and to say, I can't wait to see this receiving group with Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs and Jaden Reed and you know even some of the stuff that was said on PFF, I, I got really excited about that. I kind of want to cover in depth more maybe at another time, but essentially they were looking at the class going, I don't know. In other words, they were more excited about the back end. Not necessarily that they were higher on their board, but you know, for example, they don't know that Brooks might not be a better pass rusher or, or true edge rusher than Lucas Van Ness is. They also went on to say things like, I don't know that Mr. DeBose isn't going to be a better wide receiver than Jaden Reed because, you know, apparently they were some of these guys like Grant DeBose was somebody's like third favorite receiver. I mean, just crazy stuff like that. Like I'd never heard that before, but that's that's the thing. We have no earthly idea. So again, have fun. Enjoy the team. Be optimistic because there's no reason to do anything else. I know we, we there are certain people that like to believe that they're the intelligent ones because they're not just blindly believing the team's going to do anything. So if I just go around and be negative, that that makes me more objective and more realistic and more down to earth and all that stuff. It doesn't. Being negative is just as stupid as being positive. So you get to be stupid and negative towards your team or stupid and positive towards your team. Or sit back and go, I don't know, dude. Freaking, I don't know. I don't care. I'm, plug I'm, I'm unplugging until it happens. You get what I'm saying? Let's get excited, man. I mean, I, I, again, a Anthony Johnson, another one. Just, I mean, we got to get out of here, but, but the way they were talking about him, like, 
legitimately is another one. I think somebody said they had him really high on, on their safety list. Like, this guy is a legitimate starter in the NFL. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to happen, but, you know, we, we, we got some players here, man. And there's no reason not to listen to the people that really loved them and say, why did you love them so much? Because, I, because you know what I want? I want to have a passion for the players on my team. Some players make it impossible. And that's unfortunate. You know, there were some players, Demarius Randall, you know, I wanted so bad to love that guy. He just made it impossible. But these guys haven't done anything wrong. So I can just feed myself with as much positive information as I can possibly find and get excited about it. Because I'd rather there be video clips of me saying, man, this guy could be a freaking dog in a positive way, and he ends up busting out, than having an audio clip of me going, dude, this guy's going to be trash, man. I can't even stand it. And then they end up being fantastic, which there are people on Twitter who have just nothing, and Facebook too, constant comments about how bad everybody's going to be. There are so many receipts for these guys, and every single receipt, there's not a single receipt of this person's going to be so good unless it's about another team. Every single instance of you looking stupid is when you're trashing a player that now you have to watch and cheer for, which, again, that always made me feel kind of dirty, too. You know what I mean? Which is another reason why it's it's hard to do it and I don't like doing it. Because if you talk bad about somebody, and then you're, you're there like, yeah, go, 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 come on, Kevin King with a pick, let's go, big dog! Like, dude, we have been trashing this guy for, like, two years. You know what I mean? Like, five minutes ago. It's just weird, you know? Anyways, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm off on a friggin' tangent right now. I'm lost in the weeds, but y- you get it, right? You understand where I'm coming from. Again, that's the negative thing about um, the nerds and the, the nerd data, is that it kind of saps all the fun out of everybody's ability to feel like, you know, I can do this. Like, I'm, I'm going to get into it. I'm going to really study and watch the tape. See, the other funny thing is all these people on Twitter are like, watch the tape. First of all, no. Second of all, you don't even know what you're looking at, but it does sap a little bit of the fun out of it. But again, that's why you got to separate it. Have your fun, just don't cross over from fantasy land into reality and bring your fantasy into your arguments because you're going to look like an idiot. That's all I can tell you. Anyways, I got to get out of here. You guys have a great day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.